Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is time for Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. I had an amazing opportunity to sit down with my friend, the New York Times bestselling writer and longtime spiritual mentor for me and millions of other people, Philip Yancey, back on the podcast. We recorded this on the afternoon of February 11th, 2023. And you're going to hear it sometime later than that, but it's a perfect self-brain surgery Saturday episode because we talked about um, the fact that Philip just was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and that, of course, is a, a progressive and incurable neurodegenerative disease. And it's one of those moments in life when you have to say, why? You know, this this guy has served the Lord and the kingdom for his whole life. He's pursued um, the deep questions that are hard for us to scratch out and answer. And he's been a guide and a mentor and a leader for many of us around the world when we're hurting and when we're asking big questions of God. And and now here, you know, later in his life, he's, he's only in his early 70s, but he's now dealing with this big challenge. And Philip's a super active guy. He and his wife have climbed all the 14,000-foot mountains in Colorado, and they're extreme skiers, and they're hikers, and they travel all over the world. And And now he's he's facing, you know, limits, limitations, and disability, and frailty, and all those things that come along with, with not just getting older, but also with having an, an illness that creates trouble with your balance and your muscles and your mobility and all that. So we had a great talk about the the power of resilience and faith and hope and how do you handle doubt and when you ask big questions and, and we got into spiritual formation and deconstruction of our faith and reconstruction of our faith. And it's just a kind of a wide ranging con- conversation that really revolves around what do we do when it hurts and what do we do when we don't understand and what do we do when we're faced with some real big questions about our own futures and things that we thought were true it may not be true anymore so Philip Yancey as always um, even when facing something big um, kind of shines a light on the path for all of us and so honored for the connection I've had in my life with him and his kindness and grace to me I've told you that story millions of times but I, there would be no Lee Warren books without Philip Yancey's influence and, and uh, his help in my career. and So just a tremendous honor to be able to sit down and talk with him again. And uh, believe it or not, fifth time that Philip's been on the podcast. So he, he may lead the way and uh, people who have been on the most number of times, he may be the champion so far. Um, but I think you're going to get a lot out of this. I'm always telling you, you can't change your life in, until you change your mind. And Philip has now had something he's had to change his mind about. What's the rest of my life going to look like? Are my muscles going to do what I think they're going to do? Is my balance going to hold up? Am I going to be able to do the things that I love to do uh, and that I need to do? And he's answering those questions in a way that honors and reflects his creator and his faith in Jesus and gives us a little bit of uh, some breadcrumbs to follow down the trail uh, of our own lives. Uh, As always, Philip Yancey, thought leader, inspiring uh, helper to me, and he's going to help us start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, 
faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Okay, friend, we're back. I'm so excited to be back with you for, believe it or not, the fifth time on the podcast. We've got Philip Yancey with us. Hey, Philip, how you doing today? You must be running out of material there, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't believe it. I was looking back and you've been on the show four other times before. So this time though, it's not about one of your books. We're just, we're just going to talk today. So uh, every time before we've had a, a prescribed topic, but I just uh, have a few things bouncing around in my head and I thought I'd reach out to my sort of spiritual guru and, and uh, see if I can pick your brain a little bit. Great. Let's do it. Yeah. You want to say a prayer before we get started, Philip? I will. Father, we don't know the people who are listening what kind of state they're in, what their concerns are, what's going on in their family, their health, their lives. But you do know, and somehow you've brought us together today, Lee and I, friends for a number of years now, with a lot of the same interests and a lot of the same questions. And I pray that your spirit would bring us together, not just uh, with Lee and me, but with all those who we can't see that we trust will be listening to this program someday in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, I guess um, let's just talk about the the elephant in the room first. I mean, you, you know, you've been writing books about suffering and, and hardship and difficulties for years, and you've been a person that myself and my family and millions of us have reached out to when we're hurting. But, but you got some, some scary news recently, didn't you, Philip? I did, yes. Uh, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Most people do know someone with Parkinson's. There are two million of us now. Us, I'm I'm one of them uh, in the United States. And it's a wildly variable disease. Some people I know are barely uh, irritated by it, but, you know, not really hampered in any way. And other people are almost debilitated. So, I'm in the very beginning stages. I'm getting medical care. I'm on medication, and we'll just see how it develops. But it was a it was a wake up call for sure. I had a few little symptoms that raised my eyebrows, and then when I finally got the diagnosis, it really was like like an elephant in in the room that I couldn't get away from, wow. and uh, it's it's affecting things, and will affect things from now on out. My my writing, my travel, my speaking, you know, all of those things are up in the air right now. I don't I don't know yeah. what's going to develop. And I'm just trying to follow the doctor's orders. You like to hear that, right, Lee? Yep. And uh, right. <laughs> and uh and and just deal with it. And you're right, I have written a lot about suffering and because of that I I don't really have any of the why me type questions. I, I've been through every verse in the Bible multiple times that I can learn something about pain and suffering. And I'm just convinced that God is on the side of the sufferer, not, not right. against the sufferer. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not crying out saying, God, why, why are you doing this? Why me? We live on a, we live on a broken planet. Yep. It's got a lot of great good things about it, but it's got some bad things too, including 
evil <laughs> and yeah. wars going on right now and viruses and bacteria. There are many good ones, but then there's some bad ones too. Yeah. And Parkinson's is kind of a strange syndrome. Nobody knows exactly uh, what kicks it in, what triggers it, or or what uh, how that particular combination of maladies comes about. But uh, we we all face things. Everybody listening right. to this program. Some people have children with genetic defects that they live with. Some people have a a marriage that's under a lot of stress and strain. We all have our different kinds of burdens to bear. Yeah. And I guess I, I, what I have learned in being around suffering people a lot is that uh, some of these questions we can't answer, but our, that's not ours to answer. As, as God told Job, you know, I'll worry yeah. about my world. You worry about your concerns. That's right. And my concern right now is how can I respond in the best way possible? And uh, in life's journey, this is quite a twist in the trail. Yeah. But uh, I, I believe in a good and loving God as a guide, and, and yeah. hand in hand, we'll walk through it. That's right. You get good support from your wife, and and uh, it, it's it's a journey that you don't know yet where it's going to go. But I, I trust that you're going to be leading the way as we all look for look for people in our worlds who show us the right way to respond to big things. I've always seen you as one of those people, Philip. Mm. Well, we'll see, you know, it's one thing to write about it. It's another thing to live it out. That's right. <laughs> and having worked through it does prepare me, no doubt, but that doesn't mean there are going to be moments of tears and, and, uh, just regrets. Uh, yeah. People with chronic diseases and, um, injuries there's a there's a process of letting go yeah i don't think i don't think on this podcast that people can see me but uh, you're looking at a a face that's kind of bruised and battered it looks like i was in a boxing match and lost yeah and and it was a simple matter of trying a new sport i said oh pickleball i've heard people talk about that i think i'll try that and five minutes into the game i fell flat on the pavement and and uh, smashed my face up pretty bad and and I learned pickleball is not for somebody with Parkinson's. Try uh, <laughs> Chinese checkers think. or some other sport. <laughs> I might release the video if that's okay with you. I think it would be um, be good for people to see you talking about that. So if that's okay, we may release okay. it. Okay. So, so. I, I'll tell you one thing about you. You've always been so active. You know, you've climbed all the, what is it, 54, 14,000? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you climbed all those mountains. You've done a tremendous amount of hiking and skiing. I mean, you're a guy, a busy, active guy. So is there some component of this facing into this, um, I don't know what you want to call it, limited limitations or frailty or any of those things? Is that affecting your spirit so far? <coughs> Excuse me, Lee. I'm still adjusting there. I'm trying to trying to figure that out. The fall on the pickleball court just took took me – by surprise, I wasn't expecting it. I was diving for a ball, and that's the kind of player I am. And um, boom, I was unconscious on the pavement. Wow. So that that's a new one, and I'm learning what those limitations are. I still plan to be skiing this year. It's a great snow year, by the way. Come on yeah. out. And um, mountain climbing, probably not the best idea because when you get – about 13,000 feet, you tend to have to hop from one rock to the other. And 
balance and uh, it's, it's not the best for Parkinson's patients. So I probably won't be doing that. I'll be sticking to well-marked trails from now on. Yeah. Well, you know, so over the years, you've you've been a person that um, gets the phone call when something happens. You, you were one of the mm-hmm. one of the first people that got called to come to Virginia Tech at the mass shooting and and Sandy Hook and and just you've gone all over the world, kind of being there for people in their in their moments of need. Like, what does Philip Yancey say to people when they're encountering that massive thing? I, I, I use that term, the massive thing, in my new book to talk about those big things. You lose a child, there's a shooting, something happens, you get cancer. Um, what do you? What have you done over the years to, to comfort us in those moments? Mm. And then how are you preaching that to yourself right now? Right. Well, what I, what I first mentioned, I think, is the most important lesson that I've learned, and that is that God is on the side of the one suffering. Yeah. It's easy when something bad happens to think, well, God is punishing me or... Um, you know, even insurance companies call tornadoes acts of God. You know, yeah, that's right. And and, uh, and I I correct that. And the reason I correct that is because God gave us a good correction, and that's His Son when He came to Earth. And various people would would come to Jesus who are blind, who are paralyzed, who had different ailments, and the Pharisees and Jesus' own disciples would say, "Okay, what did this guy do wrong?" That's yeah. just that instinctive reaction, and every time Jesus corrected them and said he didn't do anything wrong, and then he would always heal. So I have no doubt that God wants us well and thriving, because when God was here as a human on earth, he spent a good part of his time making sure that happened to everybody That's he right. ran into. It wasn't primarily Jesus' main message in coming to earth. Because he didn't heal everybody in the world. He didn't do anything for disease in Europe or North America or anywhere else except the people right in his in his own little area. But he he did give us a real clear signal of the way God wants the world to be. And then he said, pray this way, pray that the that the God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And clearly that's not happening. And Jesus came to get that going to start it. We're, we're part of the process too. In the body of Christ is part of that healing process, that comforting process. We can be literally the presence of God in the world, in a, in a hurting world. So that's the first thing. And then um, a further thing that's, that is really important to me is that um, this world is both good and bad. Yeah. I think the phrase that uh, C.S. Lewis used was a good world spoiled. Yeah, And here I live in this beautiful state of Colorado. It's a good world. I just look outside my window, and there's a stream flowing surrounded by ice. And uh, if, if it snows over the weekend, it's going to be like a magical landscape. I just stare yeah. at it. It's so beautiful. And yet it's, it's a tough world. Uh, we've had deer kills right outside our front door. Um, we all know the problems in this world. Yeah. So that's that's an important lesson, and um, and I guess my my belief is that our our job is is not to do God's job. It's it's really God's job to figure out uh, at what point God intervenes directly, and at what point He just kind of lets things go. Yeah. My job is to trust God, no matter how it looks, and of course. 
the book of Job, which I know you've explored. Yeah. It's a great example that if anybody deserved a, an answer to the why questions, it was Job, because he was yeah. the most righteous man in the world, suffering the most. And when God finally appeared, God basically kind of blew away that question. He said, Job, you know, I'll worry about running the universe. You worry about running Job. That's right. And all I ask for you is that you keep trusting me. And and that's our job. So when when something like this news hit me, my first question was was not why. It was now what? Do do wow. I trust God with what lies in front of me and going forward or not? And um oddly enough, you you referred to Sandy Hook and well, I'll never forget, it was right around Christmas time. And the week after Christmas, we flew out there. And I was, I was, I didn't know what to say. I'm, I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. I'm not even a parent. We don't have children. Yeah. And here I am put in front of several thousand people who are just swallowed up in grief. That town, it, it was kind of slushy and rainy and yeah. And the whole place was dark. And then I walk into that auditorium and hear these people, including parents of of six years old kids that they kissed that morning on the school bus on the way to school and then went back that afternoon to identify their bloody bodies in the morgue. Mm-hmm. What can I say to them? And I I happen to be to be writing an article for for a magazine called Books and Culture on uh, the new atheists, people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Sam Hitchens, Harris. Sam Harris. And there was a quote from uh, Richard Dawkins who said, we live in a blind, pitiless universe, an act, a random act that never will be repeated. Mm-hmm. And it so struck me. He believes that. And a lot of people in the United States and in the Western world believe that. But when something like Sandy Hook happens or this earthquake going on in Turkey or whatever, we don't act like that. We act like human life has value. Yeah. We act like it's wrong. This is not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And the people in Sandy Hook, they weren't they weren't acting with blind, pitiless indifference. They weren't just shrugging their shoulders. Well, bad things happen. Oh well. I lost a child. I got another one at home, you know. No, that's our instincts tell us something about the value of humanity and and the and just the inbuilt compassion that we're called for to to spread abroad. And I, I you know I noticed the the sometimes cynical, sometimes irreligious New York Times when 9/11 happens, when shootings at Virginia Tech or Sandy Hook or Columbine happen, they don't go to the new atheists to write their op-ed columns. That's right. They go to priests, pastors, and rabbis because they're looking for comfort. They're looking for hope. And we do have a message of comfort and hope. doesn't solve everything, but it, I'll tell you what, when you stand in front of those grieving parents, I could say, I know you are missing your children today. You will one day be reunited with them. Jesus, yeah. and, and just quote what Jesus said about children. And uh, that is a message of hope. You know, it doesn't bring your child back right away, but it's a, it's a lot better than saying, well, it's a blind pit of this universe. What else do you expect? Yeah. Wow. Many big things happen like that, and this is sort of this popular word right now. Everybody's talking about deconstruction of their faith, right? And I think it's a, it's a, it's a 
almost a fad. If you get out on Twitter and look at Christianity on Twitter right now, everybody's talking about how they're deconstructing their faith because they had something bad happen to them or somebody abused them in the church or something. And there's this whole cultural thing of, of everybody talking about walking away from their faith in response to something bad happening to them. So how do you, and you, I mean, you grew up in a really difficult, you've written a lot about your memoir, um, a really difficult childhood, a difficult family, difficult church situation. How do you address the problem of one person having that tear their faith apart and another person having it rebuild their faith in some way? How, how do you, how, how do you square that up? Right. Yeah. I, I wrote a kind of a tell all memoir called where the light fell yep. and book. the, the church that I grew up in needed, uh, I don't know about deconstructing, needed to be destructed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was this angry, fundamentalist, racist church that this narrow group of people thought we were the only ones who would ever get to heaven. And um, just judgmental toward everyone else and, and blatant racism taught from the pulpit. And as I, when you're a kid, you believe everything they tell you, you know, right. but... Uh, when you when you grow up and and your world gets a little broader, you realize I was I was deceived. I was lied to by this church, and it and in a sense, my entire career, frankly, has been a process of reconstructing faith. Yeah, because mine was so blatantly wrong, I had to kind of throw it all out and start over. So when I read a book like The Jesus I Never Knew. In the background is the Jesus I was taught, but there was another Jesus that I never knew. I missed. And I write a book, What's Amazing About Grace, because I didn't really experience grace. We used that word. We talked about it. Yeah. But I didn't feel any grace in that church. And and so I've had the privilege, and I really consider it that, as a writer, to make my living by sorting through the mixed messages I got from that toxic church and in kind of reconstructing it piece by piece, bit by bit. Yeah. And I, I've been reading just the last few days, I started reading the book of Matthew. I, I was reading all the way through the Old Testament and I got kind of bogged down just in the book of Judges. I thought enough of this dark stuff. I got to, I got to be remember, <laughs> you know, where the light fell. So uh, yeah. I turned to Matthew just to, to read through one of the gospels and hit a couple chapters, Matthew 12, 13, around there, and then far more in Matthew 23, where Jesus was a great uh, deconstructor, reconstructor of faith. Yeah. Because he, you know, he grew up as a pretty close to the Pharisees. I don't know if he would have really used that term, but of all the groups in Israel in that day, he was most like the Pharisees. These were Bible-believing, devout rule-keeping people. And if you looked at, if you looked at the, kind of the most honorable Bible-coding <laughs> citizens of his day, it would be Pharisees. Yeah. And yet, man, nobody ticked Jesus off more than the Pharisees. That's right. And the, and the point was, they had the doctrine correct, but the doctrine became the idol, not God. Yeah. So again and again, well, you would start in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew saying, they have said it, but I say unto you. 
you know, it's new wines now, new wine and new wineskin. We need both now. Yeah. And you you think it's wrong to to take grains of corn on the Sabbath. My disciples are hungry. What's more important, my hungry disciples are keeping a rule. That's you think right. it's wrong to heal a person on the Sabbath. What's more important? You know, man was made for the Sabbath, not the other, not the, or the Sabbath was made for man. Right. Um, and and that's that's a process of reconstructing faith. Here's what I learned, though. As fierce as he was, Jesus never just resigned membership. You know? That's right. He's in the synagogue. and In fact, that's where he often gets in trouble because he's in the synagogue with these rule keepers and somebody has a physical need and Jesus responds and heals the person. And then that gets the, the legalist mad, you know, and yeah. and, and he, he takes them on. Um, but what I what I like is that Jesus never just says, well, forget the church, forget the synagogue. I'm never going back right. there again. You know, I don't like their music or they're so old fashioned. I mean, he, he could have had a lot of reasons yep. to pull out and he didn't do it. And so many of the people who are nothing wrong with reconstructing faith. I mean, I, as, as I mentioned, I've been doing it for 50 years now. Yeah. Um, but. It's the very people who are going through that process who the church needs. And often they pull away from the church and they do it on their own. And as was it Tertullian said, when you pull a log out of the fire, it stops burning. You know, yeah. it needs it needs the warmth of the other logs around it to keep going. And and so just my I encourage people to evaluate their faith, to figure out what's worth keeping what's what's not and uh you know i often have these conversations where people would say well i used to be in the church but i'm not now why not oh and they'll tell me some story about how some elderly lady treated this couple 30 years ago for a divorce or being gay or you know something like that and i lean back and say hey (laughs) it's a lot worse than that let me tell you about my church (laughs) And they say, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christian author. I said, well, I am. But, you know, to to trade away the opportunity to to connect on a regular basis with yeah. the God who created the universe because of the way some old lady treated you 30 years ago, that's a bad trade. It I wouldn't is. do that. So don't don't throw it out. Pick it up piece by piece, but do it within a community, hopefully a grace-filled community uh, that allows you to question and, and rewards it rewards your honesty rather than punishes church isn't always good on that but i always say find a church that rewards honesty yeah rather than punishes it um, so jesus himself went through the reconstruction process it's a good process but just don't try it on your own and don't try it isolated from other believers that's right because when you're isolated you're vulnerable and you can be kind of destroyed by isolation and in community, we have a chance to to rebuild ourselves in a safe way, but but have some guidance too. I think that's important. Um, one thing I've noticed that it, is people can get sort of stuck on the thing that happened instead of letting that thing become part of their formation and 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 to let it help them become sort of more like, like being conformed to Christ. I guess is what Romans would say. Mm. Like. Um, do you see all these people that that go through one hard thing? I mean, we lost a child, and you know, that could have been the story of the rest of my life, right? Um, 
but it's not the story of my life. It's it's part of the story of Jesus leading me through this dark and troubled world to the hope of mm. something greater in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the surveys show that when you ask people at what time did you grow most as a person and did you grow most spiritually, at least 80% of the time, people are going to mention a hard time, a tough time. Yeah. Very rarely do they say, oh, I had this one great year when I got a raise and my kid was in was an Eagle Scout and marriage was going well. I mean, we, we almost forget those things. Yeah. They talk about, oh, boy, when we got the news that my five-year-old had leukemia, I thought the world had ended. Or when I got the news that I had Parkinson's disease, you know, whatever those kind of things are. And um, you're absolutely right. I'm a journalist. I've interviewed a lot of people over the years, some famous and wealthy, you know, presidents, rock stars, actors, celebrities, and then people with leprosy in India and uh, uh, people going through great personal suffering and people in who spent time in prison in China because of their faith, you know? Wow. So on the one hand, and I, I look at, I look at the world and it's, it's obviously unfair. You can't say it's fair. We, right. It's, it's unfair. Some people are blessed with a great mind. Some people are not. Some people are blessed with good looks. Some people are not, especially when they fall on a pickleball court. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we're called to be stewards of, our lives. Yeah. And what I have found, Lee, and I'm interested in your response to this, is some people have success and pleasure. And these are the people we we put on a pedestal and want to be like. That's right. Of course, Hollywood shows that a lot of that's facade. Look at their divorce rate, their alcoholism, drug rate. But anyway, we look at these people and say, it comes so easy for them. Wouldn't it be great to be have that kind of success, yeah. that kind of pleasure? And then there are other people who have pain and suffering and failure. No matter what they try, it just never quite works out. They try a business and it fails. And, and, and I find of the people I know personally and have interviewed, you're more likely to be a good steward of failure and suffering than to be a good steward of success and pleasure. That's right. These people over here who have it all, they tend to squander it or take credit for it. Hey, I'm pretty smart. You know, look at look at all I accomplished. I'm one of the richest people in the world. And and these people over here learn those difficult lessons. And if you look at the great passages on suffering in the New Testament, they'd be like Romans five, first Peter three, James one. They all talk about things that suffering can produce. And when yeah. you listen, you look at carefully at the things they talk about, patience. Well, you only learn patience when you're in a circumstance that would normally make you impatient. Perseverance, same thing. You know, you, there's all these reasons to give up, but you stick it out. And uh, and then hope is the last one. Through all the hope is what keeps you going, believing there is a loving God out there and God can use all of these things, you know, Paul was so clear about that yeah. in Romans 8, all the things in his past, and talk about a 
crazy life. He had shipwrecks and snake bites and beatings and imprisonments and all these things. And yet he could look back as an older man and say, in all of these things, God worked for my good. That's right. He doesn't say, I only got good things, far from it. But he could see how Paul was a steward of the kinds of things most of us would melt under. But God knew Paul could take it and and look look at the refiner's fire, what, look what came out the other end, that triumphant belief that you see at the end of the chapter, Romans 8. That's right. I kind of, I get this new book that I just wrote, I, I, I did a little mm. work in the middle of sort of at the urge of a friend of mine who's a chaplain. Um, You're supposed to, to at, name the title of the book, Lee. Yeah, Hope is the First Dose. Yeah, Got it. Okay. <laughs> The first does, but so th- what I did was in the in the middle of trying to figure out how to find you know the light again after we lost our son, spent some time in the book of Lamentations, and and one thing jumped out, and that was that and the same thing happens with Asaph and David in the Psalms. Um, one thing that happens is that your Lamentations is this five chapter book, and you know Jerusalem has fallen and the king's been murdered and the, everybody's being pillaged and they're taking the artifacts from the temple and you know just everything's in ruins and the children are starving to death in the street and in the middle of the story in chapter three he says i've forgotten what it feels like to have hope but Mm -hmm. i take hope in the fact that the steadfast of the lord never ceases he 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 turns himself around by remembering that this isn't the first hard thing he's been through and God was faithful then. And he just starts recounting the fact that, that God has been faithful in the past. So there's good reason to think he'll be faithful again. And the thing that struck me was the book doesn't end there on hope. There's two more chapters of all that terrible stuff <laughs> after it, but he's made a decision. And, and that's, I think that's what you're talking about is that w- once we make a decision that God is trustworthy to go through this hard thing with us, that's why we can have hope, even though we're still in the middle of the hard thing. Yeah. Boy, that's so good. That phrase, great is thy faithfulness. Yeah. <clears throat> in the middle of a time that looks like the opposite. And I, one of the things I love about the Bible, you know, a lot of people, when, when something bad happens, they want to kind of cry out against God, but they think, oh, God can't take it, or that's wrong, or I'll be hit by lightning, or whatever. And, yeah. and I tell them, read the Bible, man. God, God already gave you the words. Uh, about a half, or even, I think Eugene Peterson said, two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. That's right. And that's... That's a, a word that just means um, this world is not the way, this this world is not right. There's something wrong here. Yeah. God, I don't I don't like what you're doing up there. You know. Yeah. And uh, and then Job Job is basically a book of prayers. Yeah. And in Job's prayer, again and again, he says, "God, you you have really messed up. You are, you are wrong. You are evil." Yeah. I mean, it almost comes that close. You certainly have messed up my life. I'd rather die. I curse the day I was born. Yeah. Uh, to say that to God, you know, I'd be afraid to say that. Job didn't. And and then what uh, amazes me is that God puts that in the sacred scripture. You know. Yep. So for centuries, as long as they've been written, these psalms have been chanted and sung and prayed again and again and again. Right. God gives us the words for the human experience. There's nothing wrong with feeling that lament. There's nothing wrong with feeling those moments of hopelessness. 
Yeah. But you're absolutely right. If you make a commitment, okay, I, I, I just don't know how it's going to, I don't know how I'm going to believe it, but I will choose to believe that there is hope at the end of this. It, yeah. it can see you through as it did in, in Jeremiah and Lamentations. Yeah. Is that what uh, what Paul means when he says work out your own salvation? Is, it, is that part of it? It may be, you know, um, there's, yeah, it's funny how Paul, Paul will say that, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and then they'll say, for it's God that worketh in you, you know, <laughs> you know right back to back. And, and there's that partnership, you know. Uh, we, we are partners with God. Paul's very clear about that. We are, yeah. we are God's emissaries. We are God's ambassadors, he says at one point. We're the, the ones that God has chosen to show what God is like to a, to a world that doesn't know that world thinks God is some scowling deity in the, in the sky. God is actually merciful and loving and, and, uh, doesn't want anyone to perish. That's right. And that's, that's the message that we need to emphasize over and over again. Now I've run across this word a couple of times in conversations with people recently. I want to get your take on it. I was talking to a, there's a guy named Joel Miller who's a writer. He was an acquisitions editor for Thomas Nelson, and now he works for Michael Hyatt's organization. Um, had a conversation with him. He's Orthodox, um, mm. and, he, and, and he he writes a, a weekly book review. He reviews books and writes about them, and it's really interesting article that he writes every week and and i said why do you read so widely like why do you why do you spend you know your whole life pretty much you got a full-time job but you review a book every week for us and they're always great i spend money every week based on your book recommendations <laughs> and he said well because it's part of my spiritual formation he said i believe that reading widely exposes you to bigger ideas and you, and you realize things that you never thought about before and so it's part of my formation and then i was talking to my nephew who converted recently from non-denominational sort of evangelical Christianity to Orthodox. He became an Orthodox Christian and he's a 25 year old kid. And I was like, Grant, what, what, what went through your mind when you made that decision? And he said, I needed to be more serious about my formation. Like I wanted to be conformed more to Christ than I was, than I was getting from the church I was in. And, and so this idea keeps kind of bouncing around. Like you're a guy here later in your life a little bit than I am. And you've spent your life, researching and, and asking deep questions and writing big books is is it part of that is part of it so you're forming yourself and and if so like how do we those who are a little further behind you in the path like what does this idea of spiritual formation mean to you philip hmm. well i mentioned that i learned to distrust a lot in the church i grew up in yeah and that was a that was a loud church you know we had people yelling at us how we're going to hell the same group of people every Sunday, but we're all, you know, <laughs> being yelled at. And uh, and I learned to to be nervous when somebody started raising their voice and, and mm. talking to me like that. And then I found, for me, uh, it was words, it was books. And I think it's no accident when that when God came to Earth, God came as the Word. <laughs> you know, yeah. John John uses that word right at the beginning of his book, and. What I love about reading is that it's it's freedom enhancing. Yeah. Because you're in charge. You're the reader. And I had to learn that as a writer early on. I thought, well, if I write it, people are going to read it. Well, not necessarily. 
I have to write something in a way that that evokes a response in the reader that makes him want to turn the page once we read the next paragraph. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of it. Movies, I mean, they know you you have scary music and people get scared. Are you you use all these color schemes of red or whatever and and you yeah. know something is coming and they they know how to manipulate all that stuff. An author doesn't have that going. We just got words. Yeah. And then the words are we we can't even say the words, you know, the words are up to the reader to keep reading. And uh so for me, spiritual formation in, in involves quiet, silence, meditation, you know, these kind of slowness, these kind yeah. of things that our culture is militantly against. against. Right. Our culture is trying to fill every space. And, and the other thing that happens is that with all the social media options going on, a lot of people will only read people or listen to people who they already agree with. That's right. And your nephew and this uh, Joel, Joel Miller, Miller. Yeah. would be a good example because he's deliberately exposing himself to people that he he doesn't agree with. That's right. And I try to do that too. You know, I I try to to read the skeptic's view so I can understand the skeptic. And um, I, I also think it's really important. Uh, if if you're a diehard Fox News person, yeah, tithe tithe to CNN just to get their understanding. If you're a diehard CNN person, spend ten percent of your time on Fox News to realize not everybody sees it the same way. That's right. And and Christians, because we go to church, we're surrounded by people who who share a common set of beliefs. It's easy to think that everybody sees the world that way. It's not true. We're the minority increasingly in this country. And the only way that's going to change is if we compassionately listen to the people around us who don't see it the way we do. Well, that's good advice. Um, our, our country would be, our world would be better off right now if we all spend a little more time listening. Okay, you're right. If you, especially on social media, you get down in these rabbit holes where everybody thinks like you do and talks like you do. And then pretty soon what, what that does is it, it creates enemies out of, it's you're in our camp or you're against us. And, and we saw a lot of that play out really from the last five or six years in politics, didn't we? For sure. We did. And I, I won't be able to, I want to be able to recite it, but I was just reading in first Peter cause I was looking at some of the verses on suffering and he, he says very clearly, um, stand up for what you believe, but always do it with gentleness and patience. Know, make your voice be heard, but do it in a in a winsome way, yeah, not in an argumentative way, and and we need we need to hear that again and again and again. You're right. Well, Philip, I I promised you 30 minutes. We've gone 45. I I, I just uh, I can get lost in talking to you, and um, I just want to say, you know, we've been praying for you since you told us about what's going on with you. Um, but I, I'm, I'm looking to you as always. I, I just want you to know how much of a mentor and friend you've been to me over the years, and really undeserved uh, kindness. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to you to see how you navigate this because I'm, I'm going to learn something from you that's going to help me in my own life. I just have that much faith in you, and I, and I, um, I love you. I appreciate you. Hmm. 
Well, thank you, Lee. Uh, it means a lot. And you, you know this from your practice and then your own life experience that uh, pain and suffering should come with a little warning label. Do not attempt <laughs> this, this alone at home. You know, uh, it's people, it's the body of Christ. Uh, Second Corinthians one is so clear. It talks about the God, the father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Yeah. The comfort that you have received from the Father of Compassion. Take that comfort and spread it to those who need it. That's and, right. uh, you know, I've I've tried to do that in my writing and in other ways, going out and speaking. But I'm, I'm on the needy end right now, you know. So yeah. uh, it's a twist. I have a lot to learn. And uh, in, in an odd sort of way, I look forward to it. It's a different kind of challenge. Uh, I'm 73, so I was... Some of those crazy things like climbing mountains, I probably should stop anyway. Now I don't have a choice. <laughs> I pretty much have to, have to stop. But I have a lot to learn, and uh, I, I depend on the love and the, and the care and the prayers of of God's people. And and they've they've already let me know that that will continue. Absolutely, Philip. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Do you have any? Final words for us or some encouragement or something you want uh, somebody out there? There's 83 countries listening to the podcast last week. So give us a word for from Philip Yancey for those folks. Yeah. Um, one thing I learned early on, Lee, is that all pain is pain. That's right. It's, it's easy for, I mean, I, I'm sitting here with Parkinson's and that's a, that's a big one not so much physical pain, but just the way it affects your life. Right. You're dealing with, with people who have uh, terminal brain yep. conditions, and that, that's about as bad as it gets. And then there could be somebody listening who said, well, my, my problem is just that uh, I have achy joints. You know, I've got rheumatoid yeah. arthritis or something. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Or somebody else has said, my problem is, is a marriage that's not working, and it just eats me up. Don't discount that pain. Pain is the signal to get you to pay attention to something that has a need. That's what pain is. It's not to make you feel bad. It's not to torture you. It's to get you to pay attention to it. And uh, you're a doctor. You wouldn't have any patients if there was no pain because they wouldn't know something was wrong, you know. And um, so I I wrote, as you know, I've I've written several books with this Dr. Paul Brand who worked with people who didn't feel pain leprosy patients and that's not a good thing yep. and he had to go to all sorts of extremes just to get pain flowing again that's right <laughs> and, and, but i would say to those people out there uh, we don't know what your individual pain is but uh, we do know that god cares god is on the side of the one who suffers and god's body uh, the church should also be so don't try to do it alone be honest about it face into it and find a support group that can help you through hard times. That's what we need to do. Some of us are strong today. Some of us are strong tomorrow. We take turns. Amen. We take turns. Philip Yancey, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today, brother. Uh, It's a joy. Thank you, Lee. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together. 
via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.